energy. I am done talking about Mac Jones. As far as I am concerned, Mac Jones is no longer on the New England Patriots. To passion. I am very, very happy that the state of Vermont has legalized sports gambling. I just don't know if after my weekend, I can partake in it anymore. The opinions on all your favorite teams. This isn't Craig Breslow's fault. The Red Sox are not the Red Sox of old, but it's an ownership directive. Direct your anger at them. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Thursday. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We have a short show tonight, and then we've got a double header coming your way from the Barry Auditorium. Division Three Boys Basketball Semifinals. Begin with our coverage at 6.15. Hazen and Winooski is the first game. Brent Curtis is on the call. we got the other game following that, so around 8 or so. So we only got 45 minutes, right? We're up until 6.10, 40 minutes, actually. Buster Olney of ESPN is going to stop by. He's going to be with us um, at about 15 minutes, talk Red Sox spring training action, so we're going to get right to it. You can get in 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. I am here. You are here. Danny is here. Danny, let go. Five, four, three. Two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts of the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Six and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont and upstate New York's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber, Rouses Point, New York. Also, they're online at sixandstuff.com. Danny, I'm in a very good mood today. Do you know why? How's your face? Well, my face is still purple. I mean, you can, you know. You haven't clearly haven't taken a good look at me in the entire time. Well, no, it still looks the same, but you know maybe the pain has gone down a bit. Well, the swelling is down; it feels better. But I went to the eye doctor today and uh, got a clean bill of health, and that makes me good. I'm nervous, like a lot of people are, about all things, you know, medical appointment wise. And you know what, Danny? It had been 12 years since I went to the eye doctor. Why wait so long? 12 years. Well, why wait so long? Can you see? I mean, well, I have glasses, as you know, but um, you know, Does prescription change over twelve years. It can. You know, your eyes can certainly get worse. You can develop things on your eyes. You know, cataracts, etc. But I ended up with a good report today, despite a twelve-year absence. They said my prescription has not changed at all, so I don't need my my vision has not gotten any better. It has not gotten any worse. Just keep wearing my glasses as I do, and uh, and I'm good. So. Look, I, did, I hadn't gone to the dentist for like seven years recently. I went to the dentist for the first time. You know, at this point now, it's like a year and a half, two years ago. So I'm, I'm good with the dentist. I've now been to the eye doctor. Now I need to go to the real doctor and kind of complete the trifecta of things I've ignored for too long. But I'm in a good mood because my eyes came back as good as they could possibly be. They're the exact same as they were. Uh, um, all right. The Patriots are at the Combine, and the big report kind of that we've been waiting for is out. Mark Daniels of Mass Live put it out there today. There is widespread belief that the Patriots are going to have a three-pronged plan when it comes to quarterback, right? We've been speculating, what are they going to do? Who should they bring in? Veteran this, rookie that, Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi, whatever. Patriots are expected to have a three-pronged plan. One, they're going to trade Mac Jones. That is the expectation. I believe that is the best-case scenario for everybody, right? I think the Pats need a young quarterback. I think the Pats need a veteran quarterback. And they, if they want to keep Zappy around, that's fine. There's no room for Mac, right? So they, 
don't need him. Mac doesn't need the Patriots. Mac needs a fresh start. Okay, just like Zach Wilson needs a fresh start in New York, just like Geno Smith needed nine years wandering the NFL landscape to land in a good spot in Seattle, guys need fresh starts. Mac is one of them. I'm not saying Mac is a broken forever quarterback, but he's broken here. He's not going to be salvaged in New England. The fan base is over him. He's over the organization. He's out of opportunities here. It's time to move him. It's time to move on. And whatever you can get for him, take it. Sixth-round pick, seventh-round pick, whatever. He can go and start on a not-great team and try to rebuild his value that way, or he can go and be a backup and sit and learn and get the attention he clearly didn't get in Foxborough. That's part one. They're going to move on from Mac. Part two, they're going to draft a quarterback at number three. Okay? Nothing is definitive until the draft itself happens, but there is widespread belief the Patriots will take a quarterback at number three. Mac out, new quarterback in. The widespread expectation is that quarterbacks go one, two, three in the draft. Right? We don't know what Chicago is going to do. We don't know what Washington's going to do. Yes, they could trade picks. Chicago especially could trade a pick. But the widespread expectation is that Caleb Williams goes number one, and then the Patriots are left at three with either Drake May or Jaden Daniels. Okay? That is the expectation. I would rather have Drake May. Jaden Daniels is, well, tall, is a little more thin, is a little more slight. I would rather have a guy who I think is going to hold up better. But it looks like either Drake May or Jaden Daniels will be there at three for the Patriots. The final piece of this puzzle, as Mark Daniels lays it out, is that the Patriots are expected to bring in a veteran quarterback. And that veteran quarterback may be a guy who can play while the young guy is getting ready, may be a guy that is just there to be a mentor. There are a number of veteran quarterbacks available, as there are every year. The stopgap guys, the Andy Daltons of the world, the Tyrod Taylors of the world, they are out there. Specifically, Mark Daniels says names to watch and names to keep an eye on. Jacoby Brissett, who's been in New England before, and Joe Flacco, who was in Cleveland with Alex Van Pelt, the new Patriots offensive coordinator. Those are names to keep an eye on. We mentioned Jimmy Garoppolo yesterday. I would imagine he would be a possibility as well. So that is the Patriots' plan. One, two, and three. Mac out. New quarterback in at three. Veteran quarterback there in also. Now, in general, in theory, in practice, I like this plan. This is really the plan that I have advocated for. I would love for my quarterback to start on day one. But, in general, the Mac gone, new quarterback in, and then a veteran guy there is something I've been advocating for. If the veteran plays for a period of time, then so be it. But by and large, I like this. A couple of things, though, need to be understood and need to happen moving forward by both the fan base and the players. If you bring in a veteran quarterback, that veteran quarterback has to be willing to be a mentor, right? They have to be willing. Now, I've always advocated or understood when veteran quarterbacks don't want to be a teacher, 
right? I'm fighting for my career. I'm fighting for my job. I'm fighting for my livelihood. So I get when veteran quarterbacks are selfish. I get when veteran quarterbacks don't want the young guy breathing down their neck. I usually do. In this case, because I can control who I bring in, I've got to bring in a good team-centered guy and someone who, although they want to play, has to be able to give to my young quarterback also. Look, if you want to bring in the quarterback and that guy wants to hold on to his job, I respect that. But don't not talk to the rookie. Don't shut the guy out. Don't lock the facility on him. Don't tell him what that the meetings are at a different time. Whatever. You've got to be willing to give. And if you're not that teammate, I'm not bringing you in. Joe Flacco has a history of not wanting to help Young quarterbacks. That would worry me. Okay? That would worry me. I heard Joe Flacco say on the Dan Patrick show recently, like, I'm here to play. I'm not here. You know, I don't enjoy the veteran backup role or the veteran mentor role. So that would scare me if you said, I want to bring in that guy. I don't know Jacoby Brissett's reputation. I don't know Jimmy Garoppolo's reputation. But I know at least what Tom Curran said yesterday, which is that Garoppolo is a... Um, you know, is a well-renowned teammate. So I've got to bring in a veteran quarterback, but one who is willing to help because my, my franchise's future does not rest on Joe Flacco, does not rest on Jacoby Brissett. It rests on Drake May or Jaden Daniels. Okay. I need those guys to be getting prepared as well behind the scenes, even if they're not going to play right away. And if they are playing right away, I can't have a veteran who's bitter. Secondly, the fan base needs to understand that you very well may be letting a good veteran quarterback go after 2025. And here's what I mean. Baker Mayfield went to Tampa and probably was supposed to be a seat warmer. Now, Baker ended up playing well. And the Bucks ended up getting to the playoffs. And I believe that the Bucks are going to give Baker Mayfield a, a, you know, a medium length contract. And I believe he's going to stay there. That's not going to happen in New England. Right? If Jimmy Garoppolo or Jacoby Brissett or Joe Flacco comes here and catches lightning in a bottle and the team goes nine and eight and battles for the playoffs and maybe hits the seventh seed and you're like, Hey man, maybe just maybe I got something here. I'd like to see Joe Flacco for another year. Can't have it. Okay. If I'm taking a quarterback number three, that guy is my starter in 2025, right? That guy is my starter in 2025. I want him to be a starter for most of 2024. But if my veteran QB is able to to hold him off all season, that's good for the New England Patriots of 2024, the future New England Patriots. That guy's not staying here because I'm not paying that guy. I'm not keeping that guy around, and I'm not putting my young quarterback on ice for another year. So we all have to go into that understanding this. If if Jacoby Brissett wants to come here and play for $3 million and I can build up the roster around him and he plays really well, go get your money in 2025, but you're not going to get it here because I'm going to have my young quarterback play. So we all need to go into this setup understanding that. My young guy's got to get helped by my veteran, and my veteran, if he plays well, is out the door in 2025 no matter what. That's just the way it's going to go. By and large, I like this plan, though. 
this seems to be a smart and prudent way of doing business for the Patriots. I need a future quarterback. I need to take advantage of being able to pick this high in the draft. And I need an adult in the room who is willing to help him out and is willing to, you know, head off conflict between anyone in the room. And then the question of what you do with Zappi becomes very interesting. Because is Bailey Zappi really going to want to go and be the number three guy on this team? He thinks he should be the number one guy on this team. Does he want to be number three? I'd frankly be very willing to trade him also if somebody wants him. Because I don't think he's going to like the situation that he's in. That's a conversation for a different day when we have more time. But I don't think he's going to like, I don't think he's going to like, you know, after starting six games or eight games or whatever it is at the end of the year, I don't think he's going to enjoy being just put in the number three. Text says, one advantage of uh, bringing in Garoppolo is he'll never have a quarterback controversy because he'll be hurt eventually. Well, I hope not, but, yes, his health is certainly a uh, a factor. So Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Red Sox continue to play reasonably well at spring training. Buster Olney of ESPN is in Florida right now, hasn't been at Red Sox camp yet. What is he hearing about the Sox, though? He's going to join us next on DEV. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Let's go out to Red Sox spring training. Well, actually, let's go out to Florida in general. Let's bring on Buster Olney, who is at various spring trainings. I know he'll see the Red Sox next week. So Danny tells me we do have Buster on the phone line now. Buster Olney, our ESPN MLB insider with us. Buster, very happy Thursday. How are you? I'm doing great. Chomping at the bit. Going to be in Fort Myers next week and uh, fired up to uh, see the Red Sox. Talk to Alex Cora, talk to Devers, see what, see what's going on down there. You know, Buster, it's interesting that, um, you know, we, we know that spring training results don't really matter, but the Red Sox have played fairly well in the first week. They seem to have a chip on their shoulder. Trevor Story told Nesson, like, hey, this team's a lot better than it's being given credit for. Can you ride the, the, if you have that momentum, if you have that chip on your shoulder, can it matter? Um, yeah, I do. I do think that, uh, you know, there's certain circumstances where it feels like that, uh, you know, getting off to a good start is more important than it is for another team. And I think in the Red Sox case, that's exactly right. So, you know, they go to spring training and Oscar lost weight and he's talking about improving the defense and it's free agent year. And, you know, they, they have made some changes in Craig Breslow's you know, taking over, and if they happen to get off to a good start, all of a sudden the worldview begins to change a little bit. Um, you know, on the other hand, let's say the Dodgers started slowly. I don't think anyone would take that at face value, uh, and they would assume that there would be a, a you know a bounce back for the Dodgers. For the Red Sox, if they get off to a slow start, you know how the narrative would go, uh, that they are exactly who we thought they were. So, yeah, I think you absolutely can ride, a, you know, a good spring training, positivity into the start of the season, and that's what they need. Buster, we were talking yesterday on the show, Red Sox over-unders, or, you know, kind of between 78 and 80, depending on where you look. And my gut was that I would take the under. I think the Red Sox will finish last, but – I don't think it's massively under. Like, I don't think in the past I've thought they're going to be bad and then they're going to trade off everybody at the deadline. They're going to tank in the second half. They don't have, like, a lot of guys to trade if this thing goes sideways. They're going to have young guys that are motivated, that are kind of getting better as the season goes on. So I would take under, but I don't think massively under. Do you agree with me on that? 
I agree, and I think that over-under is right in the neighborhood where it, it should be. Um, and, and I think you'd agree with me on this, too. If we had the old schedule where they would be playing each of their division rivals 19 times, I think that you'd maybe put it lower at 76 because of how difficult the, the AL East is. But the fact is they're not playing as many games against you know the Orioles and the Yankees, and I think that's going to help them. Uh, and I do think that they'll be, you know, kind of on the fringes of the wild card race for a lot of the summer. I don't think they're going to make it. I'm not going to pick them, but I don't think they're a horrific team, uh, you know, say like the Oakland Athletics, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, you got me excited over the weekend when you would put out on social media that the Red Sox had met with Jordan Montgomery. There was the Peter Gammons report that, you know, one executive thought that Montgomery was going to land with the Red Sox. The team appears to have kind of distanced themselves from those reports. But what are you hearing about Montgomery as it relates to as it relates to the Sox? Well, I think the question is whether or not the price is going to come down into their range. Uh, I mean, one thing that we saw the Cubs do in their negotiations with Cody Bellinger all winter, it felt like that, you know, Cody was hanging out there and hanging out there and hanging out there. At some point, Scott Boris and the Cubs, you know, got together in the who represents Bellinger and, and, you know, their conversations were along the lines of, okay, let's get this done. Um, in a lot of ways, Jordan Montgomery fits the Red Sox better than any other team. I think it behooves the Red Sox to sort of slow play it, to poo-poo the, you know, the idea, um, and wait for Scott's price to come down into the range that's acceptable for them. Um, you know, we'll see where that goes, but I think that we're starting to get to the, to the point in spring training where, the unsigned prime guys like Jordan Montgomery, like Blake Snell, you know, they're going to have to start, uh, you know, the prices have to start to, to be adjusted. That's what happens. Cody Bellinger, he winds up going back to the Cubs, and I think that's going to happen at some point here with Jordan Montgomery. You know, it's interesting, Buster. We talked about this, too. We're talking with Buster only of ESPN here in the Brady Farkas Show. So we all agree that it would be good to have Jordan Montgomery this year, but we all think that the Red Sox best, you know, years ahead are, you know, next year and the year after that. So if they get Montgomery for the, the Bellinger type deal and he has a great year and they still finish fourth or last, but he's got an opt out and he leaves anyways, we're having the same conversation next year. It's like, I, I do want Montgomery, but I feel like I need him for at least two years of certainty. And it doesn't feel like that would happen at this rate. Well, we'll see. Um, it would depend on the on the construction of the contract, but I'm sure that that's part of the you know thinking of the Red Sox, uh, you know, potentially. And maybe you know maybe where you land with a Jordan Montgomery, if he doesn't have a lot of options, is look, we we uh, we understand uh, you know our, our you know from our perspective that we either want to lock you up to a long term deal or we want to be in a position where we where we can trade you in mid season. You know those trades. Uh, you know, or those opt-outs that we saw with Cody Bellinger after this year, after next year, they basically kill the trade value of the player. If, you know, the, any, either side were, you know, thinking about that possibility because the acquiring team wouldn't know exactly how long they're getting the player mm -hmm. for. So who knows? I mean, maybe there's a number at which the Red Sox, you know, would make sense for them to say, and I'm just pulling the number out of the air, one year, $20 million, where, um, you know, the, the potentially the upside for them is they'd have Jordan Montgomery for part of the year, and then if it doesn't go well, then they could market him, and they could get something in return. Theo Epstein did that, you know, a number of times uh, when he was managing, or the, the general manager for the Chicago Cubs, 
that could make sense for the Red Sox. But the that the big thing is is the contract construct. And I agree with you that if you're the Red Sox, you're either going to want them uh, for the long term or for very short term uh, on your roster. Buster, are we going to see the pendulum uh, you know shift here? On Scott Boris, these guys signed with Boris in an effort to go get the big money. But now all the guys that want the big money aren't getting the big money and then are going to have to settle for these, you know, one-year deals or these opt-out deals. It's like, you know, Snell and Matt Chapman and Bellinger and Montgomery, all of these guys that thought they were going to get paid big aren't going to get anywhere near what they wanted. Is is the momentum going to shift against Boris at all as a result of this? Well, it's interesting. I definitely, you know, got phone calls, got text messages from agents, you know, essentially saying ding dong, the witch is dead after the Bellinger uh, contract. I got to say, when I, when I got those, my reaction was, I think the Bellinger contract was really good for the player. <laughs> you know, uh, it was $30 million a year for this year, 30 million next year, guaranteed if he, if he decides to stay with the Cubs. And this is for a player at some real valleys of performance to the point that you know, it was less than two years ago, the Dodgers non-tendered him. So, and on top of that, it's been five years since he's played in 150 games. So for him to get, you know, potentially $80 million guaranteed over three years, I actually think it's a big contract. But what's happened is, is that a lot of the projection systems, uh, I, I think have been badly off uh, on, you know, Cody Bellinger. I saw some people were saying, you know, mid 200s. That was ridiculous. I thought there was no chance that was going to happen. Here's the other thing, too, about Scott, and, and yes, he's made mistakes in his career, and some players have suffered because of it uh, with the, the way that he's negotiated. I, you know, big picture, I, I, you know, he, he's done uh, phenomenal work for his clients. It's a little bit like saying if, if uh, you know, with Theo Epstein's last year with the Cubs, when they didn't compete, you know, is that going to take away from his legacy as a general manager? No. He's still going to be remembered as the guy who won a World Series with the Red Sox and then won a World Series with the Cubs, and it doesn't matter. It's the same thing with Scott with individual players this winter. Buster, I've actually, you know, been been watching a fair amount of spring training action, right? Caught a lot of the Red Sox so far, but also have whipped around a little bit. I was watching some Yankees, been watching the Dodgers a bit. So Otani gets a homer. Yamamoto pitches yesterday. I've seen Soto go, you know, with an opposite field homer the other day for the Yanks. What what's kind of stood out to you spring training wise nationally? Definitely Yamamoto's first uh, first two innings with the Dodgers, and I'm sure you saw it too. His stuff looked electric. A great fastball, uh, a, a great uh, breaking ball, you know, a tremendous split finger. And here's the thing is that he works with a very simplified delivery. Uh, and I'm going to be really fascinated to see how major league hitters adjust to it. It looks like he's a pitching machine more than it is a pitcher with how, you know, streamlined his delivery is. Uh, when I've seen the Yankees, DJ LeMay, he looks great. And that's what I've heard from inside their camp that, you know, he looks fantastic. And Giancarlo Stanton looks fantastic. I don't know if the Yankees are going to be successful this year, but I do know they came into camp seemingly on a mission, you know, to try to make up for last year. Uh, you know, I've heard really good things out of your Mariners camp. You know, people are, are talking very positively about them, uh, there, you know, but those, those are the big ones nationally. I, I really can't wait to see, you know, how the Red Sox are with Vaughn Grissom at second base. He's a player that I've got to know a little bit. I think he's a great kid. I think he's going to be a good second baseman. He, you know, defense will always be the question mark with him. Uh, and I'm really curious to 
see how much Tristan Cassis builds on that incredible second half that he had last year. Buster, you're going to be in Fort Myers next week. The Red Sox are going to leave, it looks like, right after you're there to go to the Dominican Republic for this Dominican uh, series. You're playing, they're playing two games in spring training against the Tampa Bay Rays out there. So uh, as you get them kind of on, on their way out the door to the Dominican, what are you going to be looking forward to next week? Yeah, just seeing the, you know, feeling the vibe around the team, getting a sense of, uh, you know, how different it is with Breslow. Uh, I am going to be curious about Alex because he's going to be one of the, you know, the big names I think that we're going to talk about next year, potential free agents, uh, you know, with managers and, and what the Red Sox, you know, perspective is on him. And, and I'm really curious about sort of the, I mean, every spring and every camp, there should be positivity. And I'm curious to see if that's what the Red Sox have, because let's face it, besides the Oakland Athletics, the Red Sox probably had the worst winner of, of media response than any team in baseball. And I think it's appropriate, you know, with the decisions that they've made. But, you know, we'll see uh, how that sort of trickles down to where the fans are right now. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider with us every Thursday at this time. Buster, travel safe uh, as you continue your journey across Florida and get to Red Sox camp next week. I look forward to finding out what you found out when we talk uh, in seven days. Thank you. That sounds great. I'll be, I think I'll be talking with you from, from the Red Sox field, so that'll be fun. Yeah, that will be fun. There he goes, Buster Olney, our ESPN MLB Insider. Buster, a couple years ago, Danny, talked to Chris Sale, like, and then, like, he talked to Chris Sale and then immediately talked to me. And then a couple of weeks ago, he talked to Roger Clemens and then immediately talked to me. I'm like, some of these experiences Buster has right before talking to me, like, it really must be a letdown coming to me next. But, uh, we'll talk to Buster next week from Red Sox spring training. I mean, look, to, to Buster's point, yes, the, the Red Sox getting off to a great start would be amazing. I just am curious, like, the Red Sox do think, like, he mentioned, oh, I want to see what the vibe is. I think they do have a good vibe, frankly, right? They appear to be confident. They appear to have a chip on their shoulder. We're going to play some Nick Pavetta audio on the other side of the 6 o'clock break. And Trevor Story says, hey, we're better than people think we are. So I think they definitely are coming into this motivated. If you play well in the spring, you have that attitude, can you turn that into that good start that you need? Buster seems to think that you can. And We'll see what happens, right? If, if just because they start off 15 and 8 in April or something doesn't mean they're going to end up any good. But if they can turn a good spring into a hot start, well, then you start, you never know what can happen, right? I'm, I'm down on this team, but again, I, as I said, I don't think they're as bad as, you know, they're going to 78 games, 76 games. It's not 56 games. It's not 61 and 101. I mean, they might finish in last place, but by virtue of playing in a great division, if they play the AL Central, they may finish second. It's just the way it is. But so yeah, I think they'll finish last, but I don't think they're as bad as, uh, as other really bad teams or as other last place teams. So Brady Farkas showing WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. I mentioned Nick Pavetta, one of the Red Sox leaders on that staff now, one of those leaders in the clubhouse. He says this team is better than we think it is. His exact words and how I feel about him. Next, the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. we got just a couple minutes left, and it's high school basketball. Get you over to uh, the Barry Odd. Brent Curtis is there. He's already set up their courtside for uh, Hazen and Winooski in the D3 boys semifinals. Danny, we're just talking with Buster Olney of ESPN. I want to hear a little bit from Nick Pavetta, the 
Red Sox pitching staff. He was on WEEI in Boston earlier today, and he talked about the expectations for this team being low from the outside, but they're ready to surprise on the inside. Those yeah, for, from my perspective, I think we're very capable of putting together a winning baseball team. I think there's a lot of really great talent. I think we have a, a really good set of, of veteran leadership that guys have experience. Um, you know, I think we're going to go out there and show what we have, and we're going to have to win baseball, baseball games and, and put together the season that we want to put put together and we need to prove it to them but at the end of the day at the end of the year when we're hopefully holding up a world series trophy we did this all by ourselves as a group with everybody saying that we can't and i think that's a cool moment as well i think you know you see you know teams that you know oh they're supposed to win the world series they're supposed to play this way they're supposed to be it's just as fun coming from a place of oh these guys aren't going to be that team they have no chance and then see where we're at the end look as always, two things are true at the same time. One, Nick Pavetta is right, right? They are capable of putting together a winning baseball team. As we talk about, I think they're going to finish last, but I don't think they're going to be massively under 500. If I think they're going to go 76 and 86, well, they're, they're a couple bounces away from going 82 and 80 and being a winning baseball team, like he says. So, one, he's not wrong. But the thing that's the problem with the Red Sox is that they have given themselves no net, right? They have given themselves no margin for error. That's why Cooper Boardman, I really like this. We had him on for WEI on Monday. He called them the parlay team, the if this hits and if this hits and if this hits, then we win. That's what they are. If every single person on the Red Sox is the best version of themselves, and if everybody who's important stays healthy – then the Red Sox do have a chance at being a fairly competitive baseball team, of being a team that could be in it for the wild card. That's absolutely true. The problem is, is that, Danny, you and I know over the course of a season, especially a 162-game season that spans six months, the odds of you getting the best version of everybody all at the same time and everybody staying healthy, they're slim to none, right? And you just don't have a net if and when that happens, right? Like, look at last year. I said this last year. If everybody stays healthy, the Red Sox can be good. Red Sox got a great year from Justin Turner, right? Got a great year from Justin Turner. Got a terrible start from Tristan Casas. Red Sox got a really nice bounce back, you know, really nice start from Adam Duvall. He got hurt two and a half weeks into the season, was out for months, right? Red Sox were counting on Chris Sale. He, he didn't pitch for the first two months of the season. They were counting on James Paxton. He got hurt multiple times. They were counting on Pavetta. He got sent to the bullpen. Right? They got a really good year from Kenley Jansen. They got a bad year and an injured year from Schreiber. Like, it just doesn't happen that way. Like, what do the Red Sox realistically need for everything to go their way this year? They need Devers to be Devers. They need him to hit 280 with 35 bombs and 100 RBIs. Okay? They need Trevor Story to be the guy they're paying $30 million a year to and not the guy who has been injured and ineffective over two years, right? If Trevor Story comes here and hits 265 with 30 homers, massively, massive improvement offensively. If Trevor Story comes here and plays 90 games and hits 247 with 13 home runs, significant drop-off, right? 
They need Bayo to take the next step. They need Casas to take a bigger step. They need Pavetta to be good, the guy he was from the bullpen on last year at the outset. They need Cutter Crawford to be good. They need Whitlock to be good. They need Houck to be good. They need Giolito to be an all-star, not the guy with the ERA who had, the guy with the ERA over five. Nick Pavetta's right. This team on paper, the best version of the back of their baseball cards can be good and can battle for a playoff spot. The, the problem is they don't have a net because something's going to happen. Somebody's going to get hurt. Multiple people will get hurt. Somebody's going to hit 230 instead of 270. Somebody's going to hit nine home runs instead of 16. Someone's going to hit 16 home runs instead of 27. That's just the way baseball goes. It's too hard of a game. You look at the Dodgers, you look at the Braves, you look at the Astros, they have given themselves protection. Okay, well, if Jose Abreu doesn't work out in Houston, yeah, that guy Alvarez is pretty good. Oh, hey, Tucker's good, and Bregman's good, and Altuve's good. Altuve was hurt for months last year for the Astros. They still got to game seven of the ALCS. You have to give yourself some net. And the Red Sox just don't, they haven't done it. Sonny Jordan Montgomery would help, but they haven't done that yet either. All right, thanks to Danny for producing and engineering the program. Thanks to Buster Olney from ESPN. Uh, you can go download the podcast, full show, on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. High School Basketball is coming up next. Brent Curtis, courtside at the Berry Auditorium. Looking forward to a double dose of Vermont High School Hoops, VPA Division Three. Hazen and Winooski is the first game up, second game to follow. See you tomorrow on DEV.